Welcome to another episode of Beating Alpha. Uh, today we have a very special guest. I'm very excited to have him on. This is episode 76 and uh, the guest is Michael Wayne. So quick uh, information about Michael and what he does. He has a company that's called Detroit Riverside Capital, uh, which is responsible for investing and developing mixed use and multifamily properties throughout Metro Detroit. Uh, his current project, the Jordan 3250 in Auburn Hills, Michigan, is 48-unit mixed-use project with 6,060 square feet of retail space on the first floor. The project is currently under construction and expected to be completed in June of 2021. Detroit Riverside Capital has an active pipeline of over $20 million in potential development, and their goal is to build thousand units over the next five years. Uh, Michaels, a uh, couple of things about him uh, per, from personal side. He enjoys golfing, hiking, boating, skiing, uh, as, and as he says, pretty much anything, I'll do, uh, anything else outdoors. So happy to have you on today on the show, Michael. I think it's going to be uh, a fun, fun show. Hey, thanks a lot. I'm happy to be here and looking forward to getting into it. Awesome, awesome. So where do we start? I think the, the start it should be where it started, right? Because um, the journey, the journey of real estate investing, because uh, by the way you look, uh, um, you know, you look still young, right? So I'm guessing, you know, it's it started for you at, at still at the young age. So maybe you can talk about your journey. How did you start it? And how did you discover real estate investing in the first place? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you're definitely not wrong. I'm 24 years old. So I'm, I'm about half the age of most of my peers in the real estate development industry. But so far, that hasn't really played too much of a role. And, and we've been able to not let that be much of a factor. But to kind of rewind a little bit, the start of my real estate career was really superseded by the start of a career in sort of entrepreneurship in general, um, really young age, I started to become interested in doing something entrepreneurial. And I, I always tell the story that I was working at my dad's office building when I was 12 years old. I was shredding papers for him, making 12 bucks an hour. And it wasn't cutting it for me. <laughs> I kept thinking to myself, there's got to be a way that I can do something else to make more money. Because if I just sit here and trade my time for dollars, I'm not going to you know, get to where I want to be. And I'm sitting there at 12 years old thinking this. So I knew from a young age, I was sort of doomed and uh, was not going to be able to stick around in the corporate world or, or, or work a, a quote unquote normal office job for too long because I was just so, so bored of that. Um, so from early on, I started a lawn care company, mowed my neighbor's lawns and grew that into 50 accounts over the next five years, bought a truck, hired employees, hired my sister and her friends to do some gardening and landscaping work. And, and really that was kind of the genesis of my passion for entrepreneurship, if you will. Um, not so dissimilar from a lot of other entrepreneurs. You know, most people I talked to that had some kind of early stage business, it was some sort of landscaping, lawn mowing type of thing. So I think that's a really good place to start in terms of entrepreneurship. And then I led that into a couple of other businesses. I did like a healthy vending business where we'd take, you know, all natural and organic products, put them in a vending machine, put them in health conscious workspaces like office buildings or hospitals or, you know, gyms and um, would sell these health snacks to customers uh rolled into like a photo photography business in college and and then um ultimately graduated college and ended up starting the real estate business but i guess i just summarize all that because it, it wasn't just the real estate business that 
kind of got me started in entrepreneurship. I had a bit of a, a history and, and a little bit of an obsession with doing things entrepreneurially. And, and you know, I'd, I'd annoy my friends and family when I'd be pitching a new business idea every five minutes. So I guess the point I'm trying to make is it's really sort of in my blood. I come from a long line of entrepreneurs and I'm, I'm super passionate about this stuff. Um, whether it's real estate or any other type of business, it's, it's kind of like foundational to who I am. Um, so that, that definitely helped push me in the direction of starting this company, but, but to be more specific about DRC and kind of how we got started. Um, the story goes that I had graduated college in May of 2018 and I was working at a, um, accounting firm or consulting firm in Chicago by the name of Grant Thornton. And I was doing some transaction advisory work for them where we'd help corporate clients through the process of merger and acquisition, um, through due diligence and performance improvements, restructuring work is kind of the suite of services that we offered. And so, um, you know, I enjoyed the job. I enjoyed the people I worked with, but I knew I wasn't long for a career in the consulting industry. So while I was working there, I had a friend of mine who's now my co-founder, his name's Alec. And we were constantly in communication saying that we knew we wanted to do something together. We knew that we weren't going to last too long in corporate America. And so we started looking at different options in terms of, you know, a different business to start. We came across real estate for kind of a two or three key reasons. The first is that real estate is one of the oldest industries that exists. Since the beginning of time, people have been owning land and, 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 and renting land and selling land and profiting from land. And, and if you look at wealth creation, in, at least in the United States, there's been more millionaires created through real estate than any other category of um, of corporations in the country. And so we, we kind of saw that this was a industry with a lot of longevity. It had a lot of success in its history and a lot of people had made a lot of money from it. So we, we liked that aspect. It wasn't, it wasn't new. It wasn't niche. It was tried and true. Um, we also specifically within the real estate industry targeted the multifamily sector, the multifamily asset class, because, um, Multifamily tends to be one of the most recession resistant asset classes. That's because sort of the inherent nature of multifamily is that it provides people a basic human need and that is shelter. And as we've seen, shelters needed in good times and in bad times. So multifamily um, tends to do well through recessionary periods and that's holding true right now through the COVID pandemic um, as compared to some other asset classes like office and retail. So we like that aspect of it. And then lastly, it's, it's really scalable. Real estate is a, a repeatable model and it's a model that the amount of work doesn't necessarily increase with the size of the deal, if that makes sense. So if I can do a 48 unit development, I can do a 200 unit development with, you know, not four times the amount of work, but maybe two times the amount of work. So, so you get exponentially more results, the bigger you get with, with a proportionately less um, amount of, of work or expertise. So it's super, super scalable when it comes to growing the size of the projects that you're working on. Um, so this has been a super long explanation as far as how I got started, but I just wanted to give you kind of a, an overview of um, 
the whole process, where it all started and how it, how it kind of grew and morphed into basically a real estate company. And so today, Alec and I have our, our first development underway and we're actively seeking new developments now. And, and we have a goal of kind of growing into one of the most, uh, one of the largest and most respected real estate development firms in Michigan and then eventually the Midwest and across the country. That's awesome. And still being at a young age, as I said, you know, and it's, it's, and it's not a problem for you guys and the people that you're working with, because you're proving them that you can actually can do the business, not only can do the business, but thrive in it during, during you know, uh, difficult times like these. But the fun, the fun yeah. thing that you mentioned, and we talked about the American thing before, as you said, you know, all the time when you talk with, the, with your friends, they kind of had similar business uh, beginnings, you know, as like, uh, taking care of the lawns, you know, but all the people that are watching this episode from Europe or different parts of the world is like, it's not that common here, you know, because again, that's coming back to the American thing, you know, uh, but it, it is it is pretty cool. So uh, what I would like to ask you, you know, because you mentioned you did all these different things, you know, from lawn care to photography to moved into the real estate construction. Uh, again, for the people, the young audience who's watching, maybe you can kind of give your advice or explain a little bit more in detail. How do you move from one project to a different, which is completely different project? Like when do you make those decisions It's time to move to another project? Um, you know, it, a lot, the, there isn't necessarily one answer that I can say that's like, when this happens, move to the next project. It's more so about how you feel about the business and the trajectory that you see the business moving in and whether or not you like that and want to be around that. And so in the example of the lawn care business to the healthy vending business, I was, I was dealing with an issue where I couldn't find good quality labor. You know, I'm young now, but I was much younger then. And I had guys twice my age working for me that didn't necessarily care whether or not I was upset that they were an hour late or they didn't show up or, um, you know, they, they really had zero loyalty and it was really tough to find people who were willing to work for close to minimum wage to operate your lawn care business on the labor side for you. And so it, it had grown to the point where I couldn't do all the work myself. So I needed these outside employees, but I couldn't find the good enough outside employees to, to keep the quality of the business and the level of service where we needed it to be. And so I saw that as kind of a fundamental issue with the business. And that wasn't something I was going to be able to fix very easily. So I decided it was time to cash in the chips and work on um, transitioning into a different type of company. And so if you look at the parallel between the lawn care business and the vending business, I went from a business that needed a lot of employees to go out and cut lawns to a business that actually didn't need any employees. And no matter what happened, that vending machine was going to sit there and sell candy bars, or I guess in our case, they were healthy bar, you know, healthy treats um, all day long, every day, never complain, never ask for vacation time, you know, never call in sick. Um, so I saw a business that had a lot of labor and I traded it for a business that had almost no labor. And, um, and so that was just basically born out of, a desire to get to a less labor intensive business. Right. And then, so, um, when I, when I decided to move on from that business, I was basically going off to college, knew I wasn't going to manage it from five hours away down in Bloomington, um, where I was going to school. Um, so that one was kind of born out of necessity as well. I just decided it was time to cash in on that. <clears throat> and then the photography company I ran during school, it was really centered around, um, 
school activities. I was in, I'm not sure how familiar Europeans are with Greek life, but it, uh, with fraternities and sororities, but I was in a fraternity and a lot of our customers were, um, within the fraternity and sorority world. So it wasn't really a business I could bring outside of college. And so that one I decided to leave behind and passed it down to a younger guy in, in my fraternity. And I think he's still working on it today. Um, and so I, I guess the point of, of sharing all that is there's never really one right time to, to kind of move on. It's more so about your circumstances and where you see yourself in the life cycle of that business. If you think there's still a lot of growth potential and you like what you're doing and you're passionate about it and hungry to keep moving in that business, stick around, run with it. If you're getting tiresome of what you're doing day to day and don't see a ton of growth opportunity and don't really see that next step, then that's when I think it's time to, to cash in the chips and move on. Great advice. <laughs> what else can I say? Great advice. So can, I, can you just talk about a little bit about hiring people because you're mentioning, you know, employees a couple of times. So, and again, you have now, you know, more than a little bit of experience of, you know, kind of evaluating if the per person is, you know, fitting, fitted for the company or for, for, for the project. Like, do you have, you know, some ground rules when you hire people? Like, how do you approach those situations? Yeah, so I think in the lawn mowing business specifically, and, you know, this is 10, 10-ish years ago now, but um, in that business specifically, it was kind of slim pickings in terms of who was willing to come and mow lawns all day and, and work for 12 bucks an hour. So there wasn't a whole lot of um, variability in who I could hire. Everyone was in a pretty similar story. They were either home from college and just wanted, you know, quick summer work that's low stress and, you know, easy to show up and collect money and pays in cash. Um, or they were you know, just to be honest about it, they were like, in some cases had a record, they couldn't get other jobs other places. So that was, in, the, in that case, I didn't have as much of a choice. But now, like today, when we hire people, we're hiring companies, because basically what a developer does is you're the, you're like the movie producer of building the project. Like you, you don't design it, you don't actually do the construction, you don't, lend the money you don't manage the property you don't do any of the legal work you you hire all of those positions to you know bona fide professionals who have done this 10 and 20 times and really the developer is the only one that has the ability to do something like this as his first one like we never would have hired a general contractor to build a 50,000 square foot building if they had never done it before we never would have hired a property manager if they weren't already managing 20,000 units um so, you know, we never would have hired the architect if they'd never designed a building like this, but the developer gets to basically bring all those people together. And because they're the ones raising the capital, they control the project. And, um, you know, in, in hiring those people, we have to basically look out for the interests of the project. So um, we look for number one experience, kind of like I'm just example there. And then number two, I would say, you know, you work with these people day to day. Like if there's a discomfort level with communicating with these people, or you have trouble seeing eye to eye on the vision of the project, it's going to be really hard to work together. And that, you know, I recommend not, not hiring them. Um, so that's something I, I look for as well is just kind of the fit of their team with our team or with us. Um, 
And lastly, like reputation is super important, especially in the development industry. What have they done in the past? What kind of reputation do they carry around? Because there's normally some semblance of truth within someone's reputation, especially in an industry as localized and close knit as real estate is. Um, so we kind of look at all of those things and make sure that it jives with what we need out of them or what we're looking for. And, um, and that tends to help us find the right partners. And so far we haven't had any issues. We've, we've started with the same partners that we're still working with today on new projects. And I think it's one of our keys to success is, is that core team and, and how they're able to come together and work together on to, to make these projects happen. Yeah. Great, great, great. Awesome. Awesome. Love it. So talking about again, Michigan, Michigan, or maybe that's the way I should say Michigan and uh, Detroit in particular, again, uh, as uh, some people know, like Detroit, uh, maybe not the best uh, market or Michigan, you know, in general, like, can you talk about the market itself? Because uh, you're a local from there, you're born and raised in Michigan, right? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe that was the choice. Why did you pick the market? But have you looked at other options? And why did you decide to start the construction business in, in the home state? So there's nothing more important in real estate than than relationships and, and the people around you. And so I had a jump start on some of those with some of the people that we already knew that were in the industry in Metro Detroit. Um, we have a, a third partner and an advisor who is very tied in to a lot of the major players in the Metro Detroit area. So that gives you a huge head start. So first and foremost, one of the reasons we're here is just because we're from here. We have relationships here. We know a lot of people here and that helps us get off the ground a lot quicker than if we went to a completely new market and had to meet all of those people from scratch. Um, so that's kind of the, the excuse as far as why we're here. And then once we're here, it's kind of like, well, if you really look around, there's a ton of opportunity in Michigan. Like, yeah, sure. It may not be one of the, the sexy glamor markets like Austin or, or, or Nashville or, um, you know, parts of Florida and, and East and West coast coastal cities, but <clears throat> it's pretty darn good. And people here rent apartments just like they do other places. And the rents that we're getting are justifiable to, to the cost that we need to invest to, to kind of build the project. So I guess the point I'm making is we have no need to go anywhere else. We have opportunity here. We have relationships here and we have a, a, a potent, real estate population or a potent renter population that supports what we want to do, which is build high quality class A mixed use multifamily projects. Um, now with that said, there are obviously markets that present significantly more growth potential over the next 10 years, just in terms of people moving to those cities. Phoenix is one of those, Denver is one of those, Tennessee or Nashville is, is one of those areas. Um, Charleston, South Carolina is one of those areas. And so there will become a point where we have built out our Southeast Michigan business and the growth opportunities will lie outside of state lines, but that may not be for a couple of years from now until we kind of establish, but we definitely have the goal to, to do that. And that's purely in an effort to diversify. You've heard the eggs in one basket analogy, um, you know, real estate. It's kind of like putting all your eggs in one basket. It's just 
you hold that basket really tightly and make sure that thing doesn't fall. But maybe by going to other markets, it's like having a couple different baskets spread throughout the country. And that helps to diversify at least geographically if, if you're not going to diversify from a sort of systemic or strategic level of, of the overall business model. Yeah. Um, so we would like to expand to those areas, but again, we just don't have a need to right now. And we have the relationships we need in this market to, to really propel us forward. Yeah. And talking about relationships and, uh, you know, uh, local uh, people inside into the market, uh, is, is some of the family members involved into, into the business also, or one of the partners? Is it, is it your father? Or I'm going to be mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, we have a fairly decent soiree of family members that are involved in the, in the process. Now, <laughs> my dad was the uh, sort of third partner and advisor that I was alluding to. My mom is our lead designer. So she handles all finished decisions. And uh, right now we're, she's picking light fixtures and plumbing fixtures and she just selected the brick color last week. Um, and that's something that she's just naturally gifted at. And so it kind of made sense to bring her in. She hadn't really done it professionally before this project, um, but she'd done it enough times between a couple of ventures her and my dad were in. They'd built a couple of houses together. So she had some experience and is super passionate about design. So it, it made sense to um, bring her in for that. And she's done an extraordinary job so far. And then my older sister owns a... Um, a marketing company and a, a, a digital marketing and brand management company. And so she's done all of our website design and our logo design and she'll help us to market the property. Mm -hmm. um, so the co-founders are, are Alec and myself, but my family's really kind of insulated us in terms of their core competencies. And um, that's, that's been fun so far to have them involved in all this stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's fun, you know, working with the, with the people that you know the best, you know. Mm -hmm. But I think those people deserve at least a place on a website. Come on, yeah. Michael. <laughs> yeah, well, can, All right, can, fair can, enough. Can you, can you talk about, can you talk about uh, your experience? And again, because, you know, there's a lot of people, maybe a few that you came across and they, you know, tell you all these stories. Oh, never work with your family, you know, because, oh, like I need a day off or can you give me a raise, you know, like all those situations that are, you know, like it gives you that taste, you know, it's like, oh, I don't know if I want to hire my sister or my brother or I don't want to, my dad get involved into the business because he's going to be pointing fingers and saying, oh, go do this and go do that. So like, what is your overall experience working? Like, have you came across some, some problems while, while working with the family? And maybe you can talk about the benefits also. Yeah. So starting with the benefits, because it has been a, a very positive experience. Uh, it's fantastic. There's no one that I'd trust more. There's no one that I would rather interact with than my family. And so I, I love that aspect of it. I can be out to lunch with my mom talking about some family stuff and then talk about some business stuff. And it's just, first of all, it's convenient. Second of all, it, it, it bolsters our relationship um, sort of on a personal level, the fact that we also have this business relationship as well. Um, but I think what's the key to family business relationships is they're your family member first, right? My, my mom is, is my mom first and she's always going to be my mom first before she's my lead designer or before she's a coworker. Um, same with my dad, same with my sister. So as long as you maintain that respect level of family first work second and 
and it's easy to say, but it's really important to, to kind of do in practice. And, um, you know, one of the ways we do that is, is we don't talk about work at dinner. So we have a rule at the, at the dinner table, no business talk because otherwise the entire dinner would be business talk and then bled into the rest of the day, the whole day we'd be talking about business. So it's really important to draw those lines and keep that family first mentality going at, at certain points like that. And, and we're really good about that. I think where a lot of people struggle is they let those two lines blend too much and, and, and family time becomes work time. And, and then there's never an escape from work. Basically you bring your work home with you because your family members are a part of that. Um, so we really try to, to delineate that by having times that are sort of off limits to work conversations. And that really helps. Um, yeah. so some, I mean, you know, there are drawbacks in a sense, like I would never sort of, if, if my mom or sister or my dad sort of like messed something up or in my opinion, or, or didn't deliver on something, I would have a harder time sort of expressing my frustration and, sort of reprimanding than I would if it was someone who I just simply hired to do the job. Like there's, there's a lot more empathy for my family members than there would be for someone who's purely there to, to just kind of do the work. Um, and so I guess that's a drawback is you can't really necessarily expect the same um, type of relationship that you'd have with someone that you just purely hired, but it's not a huge inhibitor and like i said we have a, a really great working relationship amongst the family so um you know i i love it i'd recommend it but again to anyone that's going to do it keep in mind that family first mentality and know that that's always got to got to sit above the business relationship or else the whole thing will crumble mm, great advice again uh and you just make it you know uh as an example that it's doable you know uh, i mean your example you continuing successfully build the projects that you're working on currently and i mean you do that successfully you know with all your family members involved uh and you know i mean it's it's so it's possible you know even though a lot mm. of people say it's it's not but i mean in, in some cases it depends on a family relationship a lot of variables but uh talking about the project that you have currently the jordan 3250 and again, beautiful project. So Design House uh, made, a, made a great, great looking project. So shout out to those people. Um, mm -hmm. Can you talk about uh, the project? Why, did you, why have you picked this particular location and uh, where you are in, in the process with building it? Sure. So this project came about um, right at the beginning, excuse me, right at the beginning of sort of us deciding real estate was going to be our thing starting to look for deals and we got in touch with a broker who, who had um, an agreement to find some equity for this project. And so initially when we first came to take a look at it, 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 it really kind of speaks for itself, right? When you see the pro like the property, it's right on a main corner two two of the main corners in the downtown area. And it's the last corner of undeveloped land in this sort of growing new downtown market. So we really like that aspect of it, that this thing is smack dab in the center of a place that is across the street from a park, down the road from a pizza restaurant, you know, next to a wine bar. Um, you know, it, it, it's not tucked away behind or tucked next to some houses, you know, off in a neighborhood. It, it's, it's very much in a sort of urban area, even though it's just a suburban downtown. 
And so that's actually become sort of a fundamental strategy or niche of DRC is that we look for projects that are in these suburban downtown areas because we think that's highly demanded from uh, millennials and also from um, from sort of baby boomer downsizers, which I'm not sure if that term makes sense to people from Europe, but basically just anyways, older people who want to downsize from their single family houses and um, move into maintenance free apartments. So it fit kind of that narrative where we're going to be in this downtown area and um, it's also in a really good market just in terms of kind of key market metrics. So when you look at the vacancy of Auburn Hills, uh, currently at about 2.4%. National average is is over five. And, um, you know, the, the Michigan market specifically, um, you know, that's one of the lowest vacancies there is in the entire state. So that's a that's a key number that we look at. Another key number is the average rent. Uh, it's right around 1200 bucks in this market. And so that's super important for us that, you know, we really can't build a project profitably with rents, you know, average rents much lower than that. Um, so that's a key metric. Um, average income, you know, five mile radius population, like those are all additional metrics that we look at. But then some of the qualitative stuff is like, okay, what other employers or like what key employers are in this area? Like what is our main customer archetype, if you will? Like who do we envision is going to live here? In the case of Auburn Hills, there's an enormous corporate population. That's kind of what grew Auburn Hills and that's what made the city what it is today is this enormous population of corporations. One of the biggest would be Fiat Chrysler. Their headquarters is in Auburn Hills um, and it's like three miles away from this project. So you know, we could probably fill the building solely by going to Chrysler's HR department and saying, hey, we've got a brand new building, you know, let us into your employment base and let us market to your employees and, you know, they can lease up this whole place. Um, Amazon is putting a, a, a 15, uh, I'm sorry, a $250 million distribution fulfillment center about two miles away from this project. Um, there's a company by the name of United Wholesale Mortgage that's, you know, four or five miles away from this project and they're growing faster and faster every day, it seems. Um, so that's sort of the qualitative stuff that we look at is what major employers are in this area and, and who's going to help drive the growth of this market and ultimately the lease up of this project. And it was, it was very clear that there was a lot of big players around that were going to help us do that. So quantitatively, things look good. Qualitatively, things look good. Um, the metrics of the actual project itself in terms of, you know, its design, its cost per square foot, its rental rate, um, the purchase price that we needed to pay to, to actually get the land, like all of that stuff made sense. So really it's, it's a huge due diligence process to confirm and understand everything I just talked about. And then once you get to that level, it's just a matter of raising the capital, closing on the deal and beginning the project. And so it, today we're about four months into construction, we have all of our foundation work done. We have all the site utilities in. We have a lot of the masonry block built on the first on the first floor, and uh, we just yesterday finalized the truss design to start building the second floor and and building up from there with panelized wood. So it'll take us another um, let's see eight-ish months to finish this thing. So we should be done by June of 2021, and um, by that time, hopefully we'll have a, a 
one or more other projects also off the ground or, or have construction begun. Awesome. Again, you know, very, very beautiful looking uh, property. I love these type of, you know, uh, deals. They, they, they look very, you know, very fancy, very new age. Uh, so, but the question is, why did you decide to go with like with mixed use projects instead of maybe going for a 70 unit deal? Is those type of like mixed use where you have, uh, where you have uh, basically commercial units uh, in a first floor, is that something that uh, people are familiar, familiar in the neighborhood or you just decided to go with this because for your own personal reasons? So mixed use fits this market in the sense that it's already sort of a downtown area. So there's already a lot of retail on these main roads that the project is built on. So it's really more that it just fits the market and, and that the city basically required that we have it be mixed use. Um, you know, we weren't around at the very early parts of the entitlement process because a lot of that was handled by the seller that we ended up buying the project from. But I had to guess, I would assume that there was no consideration from the city of having it be purely a multifamily. They were going to want some form of mixed use with retail or, or office space incorporated into the design um, in order to allow the apartments down there. So I think it kind of formed itself. But if I'm talking about the benefits of, of mixed use and why that's better than just multifamily, I would say some things like the revenue diversity is good. So yes, we have, you know, in, in this case, we have 48 to, you know, in the two bedrooms, say 60 people who are paying us money every month, right? So if I lose five of those people, it hurts me less than, than if I just had four retail tenants in the space and I lose one of those people. I just lost a quarter of my revenue when that happens. But when I lose five people over, a, you know, an almost 50 unit building, that's, you know, maybe 10% of, of the overall project. And that's much more, you can stomach that a lot easier. Yeah, um, so the revenue diversity of the mixed use is, is key because, you know, I've got retail tenants, I've got uh, residential tenants, and you, you mix that all together and put it into one project and it, it, it lends itself to um, a lot of stability and, and security. There's a little bit of issue when you go to like refinance something like that, depending on the strength of the retail tenants and, and whether or not the lender will give you kind of full credit on that revenue. So that's something to be weary of. But in my opinion, having a mixed use project is one of the most safe asset classes um, or, or, or types of buildings because of that reason. You have a number of different uses in the building, all of which have different reasons that they're there and all of which are paying you monthly rent. So that's why we really like mixed use, but we're not beholden to it. We have a, another project going on right now that we're about to propose to city council. And in that case, there won't be any retail and it isn't a downtown. But in that case, we just felt like the retail didn't fit the particular piece of land and it was sort of on more of a residential side of the downtown. Um, so long-winded way of saying that it's it's a flexible dynamic process and you just have to fit the design to what the city is really demanding yeah and again from a tenant perspective i i guess you know it's 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 convenient to have some i don't know what type of tenants you're gonna have but you know it might it might be some coffee shop or you know a small you know shop or you know for food or so that's convenient again for the people who are gonna live in a building and the mm -hmm. second thing I think, you know, is having those commercial tenants in 
which again is going to give you solid future projections because they're signing long-term lease, right? So, mm -hmm. so, so that is going to be kind of, you know, makes you feel a little bit more comfortable if, if the vacancy drops in the property. Uh, so, but it's, it's 48 units. So maybe again, I'm sure you have a great management team on board, which is going to help you to keep the occupants as high as possible. So talking about um, your future potential deals, as, as I'm looking at it right now, $20 million uh, in active pipeline development. So maybe you can talk about the deal that you mentioned is going to be fully multifamily. So what type of project is that going to be? How big is that? And where, when do you think uh, you, you're going to start building this up? Yeah, so that project uh, would be at its current design and it's in the site plan approval phase. So as anyone in development would understand, it's, it's a very flexible phase for the project and the, the, the building can change very quickly as you're going through site plan approval. But as it sits today, that would be a 65 unit, 75,000 square feet located on a corner of two main roads in a downtown area with, with no mixed use. It would, it would purely be multifamily. And again, that's because the corner doesn't necessarily call for retail. The retail population is already built out. There's no, there's really no more room for another restaurant in this market. There's already a coffee shop. There's already a grocery store. It's not, it sort of has all of its fundamental needs from a retail perspective, whereas Auburn Hills is very much not that way. It, it, it needs a lot of restaurants and another grocery store and an actual coffee shop. It doesn't have any of those things. This market already has all those things. So in our opinion, it would have been harder to lease. Um, it's more residential area. We would have had to do some, some work with the city to build like pedestrian crosswalks and, and, and accommodate the parking for retail. And there was just no way any of that was going to work. So as it sits right now, it's a 65 unit, 75,000 square feet, purely multifamily single use building. And the sort of timeline on it is um, we're working with the city's third party planning commission advisors right now. We actually have a meeting with them today to share this latest design. And then assuming that they are in support of it, then we will hold a meeting with the community where we'll share the project with them and get some feedback from community members. And it's, it's a requirement of the PUD process anyways. So we'll get that taken care of. Then we will, um, have sort of an informal meeting with planning commission. So today's meetings with their, their council or their advisors, but then we'll have an actual meeting with the planning commission before they go to vote on the project itself. And then after that, we'll have the actual voting meeting with city council or, or with the planning commission and then city council um, to get the project approved. And then once it's approved, then we can raise our capital through debt and equity and work with our general contractor to finalize the construction costs for the project and then work with our architect to actually vet and, and formalize the design of the project. So if all of that can go smoothly over the next four to six months, then we could be breaking ground come springtime. Awesome. Awesome. Again, thousand units and over five next year. So that's a, that's a big goal to, you know, to have set up for yourself. And again, again, I think that's what makes you excited to get up in the morning and look forward to, you know, cause that's a good solid number. Uh, and you talked about, again, uh, as I mentioned, raising capital. So that's a form of uh, equity and, uh, and debt. So do you, are you going to be taken on in, like, are you taken on, or are you going to be taken on like investors capital as well for people to, to invest with you alongside in those deals? Yeah. So that's how we finance the Auburn Hills deal was through third party investment through limited partners as they're known as. 
Um, so you, and that's structure, what you structure it as a syndication, right? Correct, exactly. So it's a syndication for development. Um, they have their ownership stake. That's just pro rata to their, their, their investment into the deal and whatever percentage of the overall equity that their investment represents equals their ownership in the project. Um, and so it's, you know, without getting too nitty gritty on the syndication stuff, that's basically our strategy for future deals and how we will finance them is through syndication. Eventually, once we, you know, establish enough personal capital or capital through DRC to self-finance the deals. I mean, that's, that's what everyone dreams of. That's what everyone wants to do. So um, at some point we'd like to get there, but we know that having limited partners right now is really the only way to get these done. And it also diversifies the risk by having other capital involved in the project as opposed to self-financing. Um, so there's kind of two schools of thought there in terms of some people would rather have all the upside, but have all the risk and other people would rather have a piece of the upside and, and, and spread out the upside among other investors. And, and, and as well comes the risk amongst other investors. So um, I would say our strategy in the near term to, to get to a thousand units over the next five years is purely syndication after that time frame, we'll probably start to incorporate our own capital into deals and structure things a little bit differently. But in the short term, it's, it's definitely um, equity investors, limited partners, you know, through high net worth individuals. And then on the debt side, it's, it's regional banks um, that are interested in owning pieces of commercial real estate. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Again, great, great information provided today. I really appreciate you sharing those uh, pieces again it's it's very exciting like i got excited by just uh, listening to you and the projects that you're going to be developing you know in the future which is awesome again because for a lot of people uh you know building construction like uh, building buildings is sounds risky you know for some people they just go and, and buy existing deals so again but you have an experience uh you know in the in the field and again working with the you know family of yours i'm sure your father has a lot of experience in, in the field and again you know the market you like you're born and raised in it so you know the ins and outs and uh so that's that's pretty awesome and that's excited so uh talking about yourself if there's people and i'm sure there's going to be plenty of those who want to get in contact with you maybe about future upcoming deals or just to you know friend you on facebook or instagram like what platforms do you have and where people should go and connect with you yeah absolutely so my my main social platforms would be instagram and linkedin my instagram uh, i'm sure you can link it in the show notes yep. or whatever but it's just uh at mike wayne m-i-k-e-e -E underscore wayne is the instagram and then my linkedin's like linkedin dash michael a wayne or something like that but just find the links click on those dm me shoot me a message um love to connect with anyone and it's actually funny i mean the, the admittedly the reason why people in the real estate industry love doing podcasts is because it does foster so many good connections and through just a couple of other podcasts i've been on i've met tons of people that have ended up either you know working with or, or or looking at deals together with so uh, i very much encourage anyone that wants to get in touch to reach out because it's a very real way that that we connect with people and i welcome anyone that's interested in connecting with me to to do so um, on the email side it's just michael first name dot wayne at detroit riverside capital.com shoot me an email shoot me a message whatever you'd like love to get in touch with anybody Awesome, awesome. And again, on that note, guys, if you enjoyed this episode, just one thing I'm going to ask you as always, just to share and pass, pass along this message. If you think this content was valuable, 
which I think it was. Uh, I know I took a lot of great insights from, you know, Detroit, Michigan, Michigan market that I never knew before. So again, it, it's pretty, pretty awesome content. So make sure to pass it along to the friend uh, and just to show that it's, you know, possible to do construction still because I came across a lot of people that say, you know, it's, it's too difficult. So here you go. There's people who are doing it and doing it with a family and doing that successfully and planning to do even more thousand units uh, in, in the next five years. So again, guys, I appreciate you watching the show. Uh, Michael, it's been a pleasure to get to know you. Hopefully we can connect sometimes in the future as well. And guys, Absolutely. as always, I'm going to see you in the next episode. Thanks for watching. Hey, thanks a lot.